This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Hey everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast. Uh, I wanted to record this quick message letting people know that I'm going to be away for roughly a month to two months tops doing promotion for my brand new book, Everything Mind, which is coming out October 1st and published by Sounds True. And thank you, Sounds True, for that. Uh, but in my absence, I want to run some older interviews that I did in 2014. The, these are a series of what I was calling uh, Indie Spiritualist Skype sessions that I was doing on my website, theindiespiritualist.com. These are a series of video interviews that I had done, uh, which I have transferred into audio format. So apologies that the quality is not exactly up to par. However, it's definitely listenable, and the people I have as guests, I think, are worthy of your time. I hope, at least after you listen to them, that you feel they are. So anyways, I just want to say a quick hello, and again, my apologies for my absence over the next month to two months, um, but in that time, I sincerely hope you enjoy these interviews. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Grasso with The Indie Spiritualist. My guest today is... Barbara Marks Hubbard, who I am uh, very, very excited to have with us. I'm just going to do a quick intro for you, Barbara, before we get started. Um, Futurist Barbara Marks Hubbard is a prolific educator and author of seven books, including a revised and updated edition of her seminal work, Conscious Evolution. She is an evolutionary thinker who believes that global change happens when we work collectively and selflessly for the greater good. Visit her online at barbaramarkshubbard.com. So thank you, Barbara, for taking the time uh, to be with me today. You're welcome. So the book, it's a, it's a updated, revised version of Conscious Evolution, uh, evolution which is wonderful. And we're going to get into that in a second. But just for the benefit of the one or two viewers that aren't familiar with you uh -huh. and your work, I just want to ask if you could give us a little background. Um, you know, I'd read, read on your website um, something that I found interesting. It said that in 1945, the United States dropped uh, atomic bombs on Japan and the world caught its breath. This pivotal event deeply impacted the young Barbara Marks Hubbard, who found herself asking President Eisenhower, what is the meaning of our power that is good? 
a question that has subsequently turned into a 40-year inquiry for you. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, your passion and, and, and just what you've the you know how you got to where you are today your incredible life's journey well you know the the uh, dropping of the atomic bomb on japan coming from einstein knowing that e equals mc squared meaning that the human species could transform knowledge like that mm. into the power to destroy the world i suddenly saw that if we stay in self-centered consciousness with more and more power, which is what's happened, we will destroy the world. Hmm. However, the question was, if there's some reason why we're so brilliant as a species, why we understand nature, the atom, the gene, the brain, is there a purpose for this power? And somebody must know where we're going with modern civilization. So I started, I went to join the church, uh, because I was very excited by Jesus and we shall all be changed and I hold to show you a mystery, St. Paul. And I went to church and I said, uh, is any of this true? <laughs> Are we all going to be changed? There, there would be a good solution. <laughs> but of course, they didn't know. They didn't know in real terms. Mm -hmm. Then I went to Bryn Mawr College. There was no course on the future of humanity. No place mm -hmm. to ask the question. Then I met President Eisenhower just after he became president. And I asked him, Mr. President, in the Oval Office, yes, young lady, do you know the meaning of our new scientific, technological, military, industrial power that's good? Hmm. And he said, I have no idea. <laughs> and then I thought, well, we better find out. Yeah. And it's what's called a vocation of destiny. When somebody gets turned on by a, something so deep that you can't ever release yourself from that inquiry or that purpose, mm -hmm. you become animated by purpose. Right. And that's what happened to me. And so it's a long, long journey, but I basically discovered that we are evolution yeah. in person. Beautiful. <laughs> And that's what obviously you write uh, in depth about in this book, and I know in, in other works you've done. But um, so, I mean, the the first obvious question then in relation to this book is conscious evolution. What is that? It's so simple. It's evolution becoming conscious in humans, mm. turning into evolution by choice, not chance. Mm. We have been, nature has been evolving for billions of years. Right. We're the first species who know we're evolving, who know we can affect our evolution by the food we eat, the babies we have, the wars we fight, who know we could destroy our own life support system, and who know we could evolve it. Right. So we're the first species to know about evolution, to face an evolutionary crisis, and to realize we're responsible mm. to some degree about the choices we make or we could devolve right. and die. Now, from my point of view, studying this is nature is allowing or instigating or it, it, sort of forcing humanity to evolve. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or die. Right. <laughs> Literally. And so, I mean, we, it, it's pretty obvious that that's what's happening. You know, you just look around at, at life in general and you see um, everything from nature to just the way human beings are being. What do you think keeps 
some people locked in that old way of living, even though the, the signs are all around us. You know, we see some people that are awakening and evolving and it's very beautiful, but there are some people on the, you know, the other end of the spectrum where they're just set and they don't, ca- I don't know if they don't care, but they're just kind of locked in their ways. And what do you, what do you think about that? Well, I got this idea from Teilhard de Chardin, mm. very famous Catholic writer. And he said he thought there were two kinds of people on earth. Mm. One he called homo progressivus, people who are attracted to the future as an organism progressing toward the unknown. The other type is the bourgeois, who are trying to keep everything the way it is. Yeah. You can, if you just look at human modern history, you'll see some of the people are bourgeois. They're trying to keep religion the way it is. They're trying to keep politics. They're trying to keep women. Mm. They're trying to keep everything the way it is. Right. Then there's the other group, which I would include myself in and probably you. Somehow I'm attracted to what is emerging. Right. Yeah. I'm attracted to participate in it. And I don't know exactly where it's going, but I become more of who I truly am by my efforts to participate mm. than I would by my efforts to react. Yes, that's beautiful. Isn't it true? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's yeah, profound and so important right now. And he felt that, um, that gradually the people who were homo progressivists would become more animated, more dynamic, mm. more filled with energy, and the people who were trying to prevent change would become more stressed mm. and that eventually homo progressivists would be the take dominion on earth right. which is really a marvelous thought yeah absolutely <laughs> and, and you talk about i think you're, you're kind of uh segueing nicely into this about the new story um in conscious evolution you know that can you can you talk a little bit and elaborate yes. on that for people? well the new story is the story of evolution yeah we did not know until the early 60s that it was an evolving universe. We thought it was static or eternal. Right. All the old cosmologies about the earth going around the sun, uh, you know, the sun going around the earth and we're the center of the universe, all of that gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And the study of cosmogenesis, uh, which was in the early 60s, then they first experienced that early flaring forth of the origin of this physical universe made them realize that the universe has been, is now, and always will be evolving, Mm. and that humans are evolving as part of cosmogenesis. Now, once you get that, you know that, of course, you're evolving. There is no way that 14 billion years would just stop with you and me. That's it, folks. Right. Right. See, so instead of saying, oh, I can't believe we're evolving, you, ha- you really see, of course we're evolving. Then what does evolution feel like? It feels like the desire to be more, mm-hmm. do more, love more, mm-hmm. create more, become more. Mm-hmm. So homo progressivist has got that heart's desire to realize potential. I, I love that. And Isn't it great? It, it really is. And I'm going to skip ahead to a question that um, I was going to ask later, but I think it fits here very nicely. And it's, you you write about something I had first heard Ken Wilber talk about. Um, that was my introduction to it, but spirit in action. 
you yes. know, spirit as, as an evolutionary force, which you're discussing. And I'll never forget the first time I read Ken write, you know, talk or, or writing about it. And it just, it profoundly impacted me It right to my heart center. I was like, yes, it just resonated such a deep truth for me in my experience. And so I would love for you to talk about that, but also once, if, if you could elaborate a bit on it in your experience, as we were talking about earlier, there's some people, <laughs> including my dentist, I, I just saw a few weeks ago, who are, you know, it's it's no that no such thing. Like, and, and the interesting thing is, I'm sitting there, and he has a very lovely uh, Tara statue, and he was talking about his appreciation of Buddhism, but, um, you know, a very uh, atheistic approach. And um, so, I'd love for you to talk a bit about spirit in action, and then maybe we could talk a bit also about. The people that just, you know, say it's all chance. There's no in conscious intelligence <laughs> no. happening. I know. It's very interesting. Well, I loved Ken's phrase, spirit in action. Yeah. That's from the origin of creation. Yeah. Spirit in action. Aurobindo called it consciousness force. Mm. I call it the impulse of creation. Yeah. It has a tremendous tendency to go for higher consciousness. Right greater freedom and more complex order from single cell to multi-cell to animal to human. And now planet earth is obviously becoming more complex. Yeah. Our media is like a nervous system connecting us. We are awakening together to danger and possibilities. So spirit in action, here's the really exciting part is incarnate in you mm. and me. Yeah. It's not that we are externally observing it. We are internally motivated by it. Right. So spirit in action is incarnating in you and me toward what? Toward greater consciousness, greater freedom, toward realization of potential. So in that sense, the God within is, is within us evolving us mm. in traditional language. Right, and and I love how Ken will also talk about that that spirit it's it's one in all the known universes of the entire world it is one spirit that is evolving through right. all of us and we're all you know guiding us towards this evolutionary awakening and and growth is. which is beautiful. And Mark Mark Gaffney has this beautiful book called Your Unique Self. Hmm. Is that this spirit in action emerges in each person as unique. Yes. Right. And it is eros. It is love. Right. Because as you become more of who you are, your loving nature expands. Right. And I feel that we're more loving when we expand this way than we are when we're reactive. Oh, absolutely. Obviously. I couldn't agree more. So to play devil's ad advocate, you know, for, for the benefit of someone like my dentist who says, no, you know, it's just all random there there's no way i mean in my experience you have or i've had these profound experiences in meditation or even just nature mysticism and so forth where for me in that experience it's beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's not just random I'm not saying that i have the answer and that i'm enlightened or I, I know for a fact but that's my experience of it you know it's a very real thing a very real spirit that is evolving so what would you say to the person that says it is all random, that, that it's all nonsense, the spirit in action well, and evolution? I've, I've encountered that in many brilliant sure. people, scientists and uh, others, is that I have noticed they don't have the experience mm, okay. of spirit. 
And it's a different level of experience. Right. Because they haven't experienced it. It's like if you've never experienced love and somebody's telling you about love, you might say love doesn't exist. Right. I don't think they have the genetic code for it. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I think also there is a certain reaction against overly formalized religion which said God is in charge and God is doing everything. Mm. So there was in the early scientists, and for good reason, a reaction against authoritarian religion. Right. Or God, the creator God, handling and, and doing everything. Mm. And if you broke God's laws, you would, you would go to hell. Right. So God had a terrible reputation in there. Yeah. And the early scientists were also criticized. So they started to separate from religion. Hmm. And probably for a good reason. Sure. But then they started to go into a dogmatism that there is nothing but accident and materialistic observation, which I think scientifically doesn't hold anymore. Hmm. Because when you get into quantum physics and entanglement and into the um, fact of the coherence of the universe as a whole system, the scientists themselves are at the edge of this discovery. Right. And, and so is everybody else. So I really think um, it's a type of human who's homo progressivus gotcha. is picking this up. And the others are holding the fort for the old. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. I actually was just doing a dialogue with Ken Wilber uh, last month for his integral site. And, and we talked about that. And it's funny for me to hear you say it because verbatim, he almost said the same thing. So yeah. um, it's it's just reassuring and very nice yeah. to, to hear that from you. Um so back to the book, one of the fun- fundamentals of conscious evolution that you return to throughout the book is being a cro- co-creator with the process of evolution. And when I got to see you recently speak in Sedona, which was wonderful because that was my first time getting to see you in person and present, um, you talked at length about being a co-creator. So I'd love for you if you could chat a little bit about that and elaborate on co-creating. Well, if you see spirit as the creative force within you, Mm. motivating you towards your unique expression, your unique self, and to to give that gift into the world because that's who you are. I look upon Co as the small CO, creating with the larger spirit in action within you. Mm. So the creator within you is the spirit in action. You are the Co. So co-creation is co-creating with the spirit of evolution within you Mm. and then joining with others who are co-creators to join your genius with others Mm. to become more of who each of us is. And I believe that joining genius is the next step after joining genes to have the babies. Uh. Joining genius at the level of your creativity gives you a new birth as a person. Yeah. yeah. And your work is more and you are more and the world is more. So we're shifting from sexual reproduction to suprasexual co-creation. And suprasex is simply sexuality going up from the genetic joining of sexuality into creativity, into love, into vocation, into the desire to join, to create. It's very, it's vocational arousal. Yeah. 
It's passionate. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And something else you wrote about in the book that I think is, is could could tie in very nicely with that is you talk about education. Um and and that that's such an important thing. Um my brother is a teacher and I know that he is very frustrated with the educational system. I was speaking with Stephen and Andrea Levine last year, and they were also reiterating just, you know, imagine if we did something as simple as in, say, third grade, started teaching a compassion class, you know, the the shift that that could have, just one little thing like that. But so you talk about the need for a new educational system, um, which I couldn't agree with more, and I would love for you, and for the benefit of those who haven't read the book yet, if you could talk a bit about that. See, I think what uh, we have to look at is there's the existing world and there is the emerging world. Mm. And Buckminster Fuller has said this years ago, that in order to change the system, create a better design. Now, you can spend a lot of energy trying to change existing systems. You can also spend the same amount of energy trying to do a better educational system yourself. Mm. And I'm very much in favor of doing the new design of of free enterprise system, joining together with others that want to create what you want to create right. and become entrepreneurial rather than trying to get a job in a dying system and change it. And I very much admire and am grateful for the ones who are doing that. But if you have a passion to create, it's better to join with others and create it. Right. The, the momentum is already there. They create the strange attractors. Mm, Attract the system forward. Yeah, I love that. So you wrote in Conscious Evolution, um, Conscious Evolution specifically for those who have recognized the desire to transform and grow. It is a call to each generation to fulfill its creative potential, which we've kind of talked a little bit about. But so how do we fulfill our creative potentials? I think it's by finding your own unique life purpose Mm. and saying yes and finding others who share it with you. Mm. So that yes, I call it the big yes. In my life, I was a housewife in Lakeville, Connecticut with five children in the 1950s where there was no hint of any of this. And I got depressed. And I loved my children. I loved my husband. I even loved my house, (laughs) my garden, and the dog. Yeah. (laughs) And so what was this depression? And I discovered in studying Abraham Maslow that the depression was because because people who were well, happy, and productive had one thing in common, chosen work. They're mm, yep. intrinsically self-rewarding and of service. And I realized I hadn't found my vocation. So I began to say, what is my vocation? And then I stretched out in my reading. And then I found people like Teilhard de Chardin, Sri Aurobindo, and Buckminster Fuller. And I found that I was an evolutionary person. Mm. I'm a feminine co-creator. And through that, I got guidance as mm. to what I'm to do about all this. Basically, my my vocation is to be a storyteller of the human potentiality of an evolutionary species. So I'm doing it. Yeah. And when you do it, you give your gift and you are the gift yourself. Your gift head when you give your gift. Oh, I love that. It's great. Um, 
So then what could each person start doing? Like, let's say starting today um, to to participate in this conscious evolution. Well, I would um, just stop and breathe. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good place to start. (laughs) And ask yourself, what is my deepest heart's desire to express in this life? Mm. Take walks in nature. Meditate. Write in your journal. Ask your friends. Begin to search for the impulse Mm. within you. And everybody has an impulse that is your unique impulse. And if you can find one other person who is attracted to share with you, you're going to find that that impulse grows. Yeah, Yeah. That's what I found. I found one or two other people. And I got that I was supposed to be telling the story of the evolution of humanity. So then I'd go out to a local party in Lakeville, Connecticut, and try to tell the story to everybody. Well, they didn't want to hear it. Who wants to hear the story of 14 billion years ago? (laughs) So then I had to learn to be good at telling the story. Mm. That meant I had to study cosmology, geology, biology, and also notice other people, (laughs) not just preach at them. Right. And you had to grow up. So, but start asking. I don't care who you are. You can be in prison. You can be sick. You can be well. You can be a housewife. You can be an astronaut. But you have to ask the universe, what am I born to do? Mm. Now, if you do that, you'll find out. Yeah. If you don't do that, you may not find out. I, I love that answer. It, it just made me think of a friend of mine. His name is Jarvis J. Masters. And He's actually an inmate on San Quentin's death row. Um, he went to jail originally for a crime he did commit, and then he was wrongfully accused of uh, sharpening a spear that was used to murder a prison guard. And so here's this man who has been on death row for over 30 years now. Oh, um, and the evidence is so overwhelming of his in- innocence that for the first time in California history, court history, they've reopened his case because it's just beyond a shadow of a doubt he had nothing to do with it. I share that, though, because he's gone on to write two very profound books um, that have deeply impacted me, and I know numerous others. And it, it's just that I, I was actually interviewing him as well, and I was asking him, you know, how, how do you make sense of all that time in prison knowing you shouldn't be there and on death row? Oh, and, uh, and, and his, you know, it was a really long, beautiful answer, but the one thing that struck me is, you know, he said, in retrospect... He sees that if he had gotten out right away after I think it was the eight-year sentence, he very well could have went back to that life of crime. However, he ended up taking his bodhisattva vows while he was there and pursuing a very sincere Buddhist lifestyle, which led him to write these two wonderful books. So he said in retrospect, you know, how could he say that it's all a waste? So even in a place like jail, like you said, you know, he found his calling and he's being of service. And that's just... uh, really an inspiration to me and i think it speaks volumes to what we can do in any situation i think that's true and some people are are certainly extraordinary but i think any one of us can be a model an example for others even oh, if it's not extraordinary yes you know and and um I was very pleased the other day because when one of my granddaughters, who's 23 years old, she said, Granny, would you like to know what you did well? (laughs) I said, yes, I would, because I had gotten a divorce. I had taken five children to Washington, D.C. I had fallen in love with the future. I mean, I was not a traditional mother. Mm. 
So she said, what you did well is we have now a family clan because we had a family reunion every year. Everybody had to come. Yeah. And the second thing was, she said, we all have a trajectory. I gave myself to a purpose, to be a communicator. Every single one of my eight grandchildren has life purpose. Mm. And that's amazing. Yeah. And they're all different. And they're all dedicated to each other because they, have a, they love the trajectories they're on. Yeah. But they are, it doesn't mean they have the same trajectory. But I think the real key difference in, in modern society is do you have a life purpose or not? Mm. Because if you do, no matter where you are, like the, the gentleman on death row, you're going to be able to do something great. Yeah. If you do not and you get lost and confused, then all kinds of difficulties take hold because our society doesn't make you go into the formula of the past. Right. We used to not have to make up our minds what we want to do. We were born on a farm, we stayed on a farm. We were born here, we stayed here. We did what our parents did. That's not true anymore. Right. So the need for that inner orientation of purpose, I would say, is the key and that every school, not only with compassion, mm. but with vocation. Yeah. Cultivate, cultivate, cultivate that uniqueness in the child. Give the child an opportunity to express it, discover it, learn about it, so that by the time they are in puberty and, and young adolescence, they get a sense of direction. Mm. Because if, even if you go to a very good college and you have no sense of direction where you want to go, and there are all those different courses to, ma to major in, and you don't know who you are yet, college does not necessarily even help you. Right, absolutely. And then you go out to get a job that's very hard and probably not what you want to do either. Yeah. And it, I mean, I, re I read a statistic the other day that like three-quarters of the people in the United States who are working do not like what they do. Mm. So we don't have the, the tradition of discovery of life purpose, saying yes, entrepreneurship. I would teach all young people uh, small-scale entrepreneurship. Mm. I love that. That's a great take. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you, if perfect case or dream case scenario, people do start, you know, we have this new educational system that becomes implemented. People are encouraged at a young age to start, you know, being unique and cultivating that and, and really honoring their life's calling. Where do you see the trajectory of life and conscious evolution heading? This is best case scenario. Where, where do you see this going? I can see best case scenario, a connectivity of what's working mm. already. Yeah. A connectivity of those who are attracted to the future emerging leading to new innovations in every field, mm. in health, in education, in management, in governance, in spirituality, in media. And I see the synergy among the things that are working, which is more than just connecting. Synergy is coming together to form a whole greater than the sum of the parts. Right. Sure. I see a world of immense creativity and love. I love that. How about the opposite end of the spectrum, though? What if 
things don't go well and and you know we just continue on this not all of us but some people we just keep going downhill what do you see worst case scenario happening? well i think worst case scenario is true environmental collapse yeah and uh, I, I mean i have heard these figures that billions of people will will be d- destroyed mm. the waters will rise and the and massive um you know no not enough water not enough food uh disease uh, mass militaries against one another fighting for water and food yeah, yeah. and that probably the only people who will survive are the co-creators who are able to get away from it enough right to make small little habitats and colonies yeah of people who are not dependent on the system I've I've read many of those reports and they are very scary. Some people believe it's that we're past the point of no return and it's already too late. What do you think? I don't think it's too late. And you know, one reason is that we have a very rapidly go- growing new nervous system for the planet. Mm. Facebook, the third largest nation in the world, yeah, still with all the information of the world in the palm of your hand, more than seven billion cell phones. Yes. So here is what I think is the plan of action here. We have to connect the co-creators to communicate the new story of the emerging world quickly. Mm-hmm. And we need to synergize on Internet what's working and create a vision of the actual reality of the emerging world quickly. That's what I'm trying to help with. Yeah, and I, I love when you wrote about that in your book. Um, I, I, yeah, I think... Because the technology is there today, you know, and, and it's, why it's not amazing. be used for good? It's amazing to me, the high-tech genius, yeah. particularly in the communication field. Yeah. yeah. From an evolutionary point of view, it's as though planet Earth herself had to give birth to a species <laughs> with all this problem, who were overpopulating, polluting, we didn't know, and we did, so I don't even feel guilty. Mm. We didn't know. And then this planet had to create some species like us who want to know and love. And then she creates a new nervous system. It's like a nervous system for a newborn baby has to hook up or the baby doesn't know it's born. I think our nervous system, which is all these new technology, internet capabilities, the global brain, mind, heart, Mm. is about to turn on. I think that's wonderful. And, and you're I, I, your contribution to it by doing all of this. We're in the noosphere now. Yeah. yeah. And, and everybody who's listening to it is infusing the field. There's a new field of consciousness we're creating right now. And, and you know, you talk about uh, the noosphere in your book. And just for anyone who's not familiar with that, can you just uh, elaborate on what that is? Yes, almost nobody's familiar with it. Yeah, right. <laughs> the noosphere is a word coined by Teilhard de Chardin, and it is noosphere, N-O-O-S sphere, or mind sphere. Mm. So the mind sphere that started with language, and then the written word, and then culture, and then all these artifacts of books, and the printing press, and then finally with internet, and Google, and everything is, all, is, is available. Now, that's awesome. That, that means I think we're becoming a new species. Mm-hmm. Because if you put homo progressivus in a maturing global brain that every single person on earth has access to, 
you, <laughs> what really does that mean? Hmm. I feel it means that what Teilhard called ultra-humanity is being born. I think homo co-creator is being born. I think a new species is emerging. I think that species in, is intuitively connected to spirit, to earth, to life, and to each other. Mm. It's a new type. Beautiful. Why would it stop here with, with yeah. a self-centered human? I mean, obviously, it isn't stopping here. Do you see... And, and this is going to maybe go a little bit far out, but um, do you see humanity as the final step in evolution? Or there are some people that believe even humanity, the physical being, will evolve into possibly light beings at some point. What Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, I, I know that we carbon-based bodies are a small-scale step in evolution. Hmm. I know we, th- we think it's wonderful, but... Carbon-based bodies will not be the ones that go beyond the planet into outer space. Mm. Ted Chu has written a very interesting book called uh, hu- a tr- Human Purpose and Transhuman Potential. And he points out that human- we are building a new species right now. If you add artificial intelligence, robotics, uh, nanotechnology, space capabilities, this new species will be cosmic and not reside on Earth. Mm. Yay! And so we, and Earth one day will, the sun will expand and destroy all the planets. Right. The red giant, about yeah. four billion years from now. By that time, according to this view, we will have created a galactic species. Wow. Far from being the final example, mm-hmm. we're a very early beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I do think it's it can be a bit arrogant to think that you know we as as the you know the Homo sapiens are the final step in this process because you well, look at ridiculous actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for anyone who's interested in learning more about all of your work, I mean, obviously they can find you online at barbaramarkshubbard.com. Is it com or dot org? I apologize. Dot com. And there's evolve. Dot org. Dot org. Thank you. Besides yourself and your work, are there other, who, who would you recommend that people look into to further their exploration and studies in, in this field? Well, I think they should read Mark Gaffney's book, Your Unique Self. Okay. I think they should read Ken Wilber's A Brief History of Everything. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they should read um, Michael Dowd's Thank God for Evolution. <laughs> there are tons of books like that. Cool. Okay. And it, the word is out now. It's all over the place. It is. Great. Yes. Well, thanks. I was wondering who, who some of your favorites were. So thank you for offering yeah. those. And just before we go, is there anything that we didn't cover that you'd like to share with my viewers? Any, anything that of importance we didn't get to? Well, I'd like to say something to my viewers that I am feeling from the spiritual point of view that I want to bring forth a global communion of pioneering souls Mm. who are the ones, like we're talking about, who have a sense of the future emerging and who have a spirit in action experience within themselves to feel ourselves in communion 
and I teach a lot of classes, I do a lot of interviews, but think of the number of people who might be on this interview who would like to stay connected. Right. Think of all the classes that are going out on internet of people who would like to stay connected. And I believe, I think of it like being, putting the arms around the planet, is I would like, so I want people to connect to evolve.org, mm. and there will be information about how to form an evolutionary communion and, commun- and community. I love that. Yeah, and, and please uh, not only get the uh, Conscious Evolution, but order the book Emergence and the book The 52 Codes. Mm. On my site, evolve.org, because it's a spiritual evolutionary path. Yeah. And if you're on a spiritual evolutionary path, I really think these will help you. And I agree. I I can speak from experience of reading them. So, yeah. well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, huge fan of your work, and I just deeply respect everything you've brought to humanity and and your part in evolution. So, thank you, Barbara. Thank you so much. All Thanks. right. Bye bye. Bye bye. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.